Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. And I started in uh, the book of John, and we talked about how Jesus is the embodiment of grace. And later on, he says, we beheld his glory, John 1, 14. The, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh. And it says Jesus was full of grace and truth. But he says the law came by Moses, but grace came by Jesus. And of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. So if you have the truth, right, minus grace, it equals law. And that equals death. But if you have the truth plus grace, that equals Jesus who produces life. So the way that you approach the truth depends, the truth of God's word, right? Depend, the way that you approach, if you approach it with grace, it will produce life. But if you approach it with law, it will produce death. Then we talked about what grace produces. Grace produces peace. It produces freedom. We talked about free from sin, free to do the will of God, free from fear, fear of the past, present, and future, fear of man. Fear of performance or lack thereof, praise God. And then we moved on and we talked about how grace releases abundance. We talked from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And then um, we went to Galatians chapter 3 last week and we talked about how grace frees us from the curse and releases the promise of God in our life. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to be, begin to talk about how grace brings us into authority. Praise God. A lot of the church doesn't understand the authority of the believer. They don't understand the authority that we have in Christ. But grace brings us into authority. And when you really understand the gospel, you understand that you're born into authority. When you were born in the kingdom of God, you were born into authority. You were born into health. You were born into wealth. You were born into the blessing. And you have a covenant right to it. So if we read um, Galatians chapter four, uh, verse six says this, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart crying, daddy, God, Abba, father. Wherefore, you are no more a slave no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. In other words, you have a covenant right to it. So a lot of people, even though we've come into this new covenant and it's about sons. And when you talk about your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, you, you've got a doubly secure citizenship. You were born into the family and you were bought by the blood of Jesus and brought into the family, amen? Praise God. And so it says you're no longer slaves, but you're sons. But too many believers are still approaching God like they're slaves instead of sons. And Jesus talked about this in John chapter 8, and he, he ended it with this in verse 36. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And, and what Jesus was saying is, I came to take you out of this slave way of living. Now, if you're living with God, you know, your relationship with God is based on legalism or performance. It's like being a slave. And the law made people like slaves. 
right? And now a slave may come into the master's house and sit down at the master's table and eat a nice steak dinner with him if he's been a really good slave, right? If he's done a really good job. But at the end of the day, where does the slave go? Back out in the back 40 in the slave's shack, right? But a son who's born in the house, he may not even be a good boy. But at the end of the day, where does he go? He, he eats, right? He eats at his father's table because he's a son. Not because of his performance, but because of his nature. Because he's born into the family. At the end of the day, he's sleeping in the father's house. Amen? Now, if you really understand this, Jesus, what, what Jesus talks about this in John 15, he said, you were servants, but I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. Right, so that's in the gospel. So in the Old Testament, the law made us slaves. Right, and a slave may get a little bit of blessing once in a while. Now, if you're trying to receive from God based on your performance, you're not gonna get hardly any blessing at all because it says all who are under the law are under the curse because cursed is everyone who continues not in all things written in the law to do them. You gotta keep the whole thing nobody ever has. So ultimately, the law brings the curse. But when you come into Jesus, so the Old Testament made you a slave. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that made you friends. Jesus said, I'm not calling you slaves. I'm calling you friends because a friend knows what, right, his friend does. Even though a slave doesn't, a slave's out there doing a job, doesn't know the end picture, you'll tell your friend the picture. But when we move into the epistles, he calls us sons. And he said, you're no more servants. But son, if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we move into authority as a son. In fact, one time, one of my boys, I got a call from Barbara and I was at the office and they got in trouble at school. Now, my house, if you got in trouble at school, you were in trouble when you came home, right? So one of them got in trouble at school. So Barbara called me, and I was going to be late that evening. So I said, listen, I'll deal with that when I get home, but I'm going to be a little bit late. So when I came home, here was my son that got in trouble at school because he wasn't the best boy, right? And he was sitting at my table, and he was eating a ribeye steak. Now, he wasn't eating that steak because he was a good boy. He was eating that steak because he was my son. Amen? And my sons still know they're my sons. And when they come to my house, do you know what? They kind of take what they want. A lot of times they don't even really ask for it because they understand. I'm born in this house. This belongs to me. Hallelujah. And when you understand that you're a son, that you're a daughter, that you're a child of God, you don't even, you don't, it takes away all this begging mentality. That begging mentality is not new covenant mentality. Praise God, and, and you get rid of the beggar and you start walking in your divine rights and privileges, right, as a child of Almighty God. And that's what we want. We want you to walk in your authority. We want you to walk in your divine rights and privileges as children of the Most High God. And you know what? God is not a respecter of person. He's a respecter of faith. But if you're gonna walk in authority, there's a couple of things that you need. Number one, it takes maturity to walk in authority. And number two, and I'm going to talk in this message about um, what hinders people 
about what being immature looks like a little bit. And number two, you've got to identify with Jesus or identify with the gospel. Amen? We want to identify with the gospel. So Paul talks about both these things here in Galatians chapter 4. So let's start at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 7. He's talking about how maturity will lead you into authority. Now I say that an heir, as long as he's a child, is nothing different from a slave, though he be Lord of all. But he's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. In other words, even though you may be born in the house, you have to have a certain level of maturity before you're going to walk in authority. You don't give a 357 to a two-year-old. Make sense? He says, even when we were children, we were in, in bondage under the elements of the world. Notice that. He's talking about before Christ came. He's talking about when we were under the law. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. You see, because God gave authority to a man, God had to give authority back through a man. So he sent Jesus as the perfect man. And Jesus took our sin and our sickness. Jesus identified with us. Jesus never sinned. Hebrews chapter two says that he did not take on him the, the nature of angels, but he became the seed of Abraham that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and free us who through the fear of death were all of our lifetimes subject to bondage. Praise God. So Jesus became a man so that he could die, and in that he was sinless when he died, he went to the grave as a man and conquered the devil. I want you to know that everything that Jesus did when he walked on the earth, he did as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. He did it as the son. Amen, as a man. Glory to God. Now, he conquered the devil, right? Because Satan had no right to hold him because he never sinned. But then he was raised from the dead. And it says he did this. He was made under the law to purchase those, to buy them back. Verse 5, to redeem them who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of son. He wanted to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Daddy God. Amen. Now, I want to tell you something right now. The Bible actually says that if you are led of the spirit, you are not under the law. That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. Romans chapter four, 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So when you move into the Spirit, when you move into the grace of God, and grace will lead you into the things of the Spirit, you realize more and more it's not about your performance. It's not about keeping the rules. In fact, Romans 14, 17 says it this way. He says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not religious rules and regulations, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 8, 6 says, I'll make a covenant with them. We have a better covenant established on better promises. What makes it better is Jesus. But in Hebrews 8, 10, and 11, he explains this. And he says in this new covenant, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. 
and I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people. God wants to lead you by his spirit into the things of the spirit, the things of his covenant, and they will not, look at verse 11, Hebrews 8, 11, they will not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they all will know me from the least to the greatest. God wants you to know him from the spirit. He wants you to know him out of relationship. He doesn't want it to be about his law, about a bunch of rules and regulations. He doesn't want to be about somebody else's law and all these things they're trying to put you under. He wants it to be about your relationship with him. Really, the goal of the gospel is that you would know God. God said, they'll know me. And, and so we don't want to do anything when we really are born of God and we're new creations. We don't want to do anything that would violate our personal relationship with Jesus. So he goes on and he says, because of this, you are no more a servant. I want to get you out of this servant system. I want to get you out of this rule-keeping system. I want to get you out of this performance system. And he says, you're no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. I want, I want it to be about family. I'm your father. Everybody say, God is my father. And I'm in his family. And I get all the stuff because I'm his kid. Now, we're talking about authority as we move on down. Now, notice what he says as he looks in verse, in, in verse 8 as we see. How be it then, when you did not know God, you did service to those who are by nature no gods, are no gods. In other words, he's talking about before they knew God, they were trying to please God through the bounds of the law, through performance. But now that you have known God, or are rather known of God, he says, how do you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements whereinto you desire again to be in bondage? So what, what they were doing is they, they were saying, well, we... We put our faith in Jesus and we believed on Jesus, but now that we've believed on Jesus, right, we've got to keep the bounds of the law to make us better. And, and he, he talked about that in the beginning of Galatians chapter three. He said, how did you get saved? How did you receive the spirit? You believed on Jesus, right? By the works of the law, the hearing of faith. Then he said, he that ministers to you and works miracles, how does he do that? By the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. And the answer is, by the hearing of faith. In other words, it wasn't ever about our performance in the beginning. Your salvation, most of us are smart enough to know that, wasn't about your performance, but neither is your ministry about your performance. Neither is about you walking authority. It's not about your performance, but he calls going back to the law, going back to these weak and beggarly elements. And he says in verse three, he says, when you were children, you were in bondage under the elements of the world. It was like a little kid, right? You've got to give a little kid rules to keep them going the right way. But you, you don't really want, rules isn't the goal. What the goal is, is to have a relationship with your children so that they know you, and without you giving them all the rules, they already know what you want right before they get there. Praise God. When we were in Kit Carson for a period of time, I traveled, and I would travel out about once a month, and I traveled to different nations, different things, but if there was a phone available where I went, I would call my children 
and I would talk to them and, you know, I would ask them, did you do your homework? Right? Did you play your music? And did you read your Bible? And they knew before I called that I would ask them that question because I wanted them to do well in school, right? I wanted them to, I knew that music helps you in a lot of different ways, right? It helps your brain, actually. People that are good in music generally are good in, in science and math, right? So it helps you. And I, I wanted them to read their Bible. I liked them all to read through their New Testament. If you read five books, five chapters of the New Testament, if you read a chapter of the New Testament five days a week, you'll read through the New Testament in a year. Amen? So I read my Bible through every year. I never quit reading. I just read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. And I read straight through it. And I thought I never quit. And I'm always studying different things, but I'm always reading. I never quit reading. Amen? But I wanted that because, and so because they knew me, I didn't want it to be about the rules, right? I wanted it to be about because they knew me and we had a relationship and because they knew that I loved them, that they wanted to please me. And this is really how God is. He, he wants you to have a relationship with him that you want to please him out of your spirit, not because he gives you all the rules, but because you have a relationship with him. Does this make sense to you? So it's really, it, it's about this relationship. He says, how, why are you going back to the rules since you've known, known God? He calls them weak and beggarly. He says, you desire to begin be, again, be in bondage. You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon you so much labor in vain. I'm afraid of you because you've gone back to performance. You, you've gone back to trying to please legalistic people. You, you, there's different reasons people do it, right? But, but the law could never save you in the beginning, and it sure can't save you now. So a mark of maturity is this. When you begin to operate in under... When you begin to operate in maturity as a believer, you can operate in authority. Praise God. Maturity will lead you into authority. And, and in that authority, you realize, really, it's not about you, but it's about him. It's about Jesus. And, and if you go back to keeping the rules or you make it about you, if you make it about law-keeping, about performance, about keeping the rules, right, if you make it about yourself, then it's no longer about Jesus, and that's what was happening. They began to go back to law keeping or the rules or performance. They made it more about themselves than Jesus. And if you're in that place where you've made it more about rule keeping, right? About laws, right? About yourself than Jesus, there, there's one of two things happen. Number one, either you're not mature, right? You're immature, or number two, you're backslidden. In this case, Paul said they'd reverted, they'd went back, they were backslidden. So he says, if you make it about performance, then it's no longer about Jesus. If you make it about you, it's no longer about Jesus. Then, then you've backslidden. Now, let me show you an example of this. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter five. And in Hebrews chapter five, we'll read these verses in verse Nine, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus as the great high priest of this new covenant. And he says, being made perfect. 
He, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Now, how do you obey Jesus? Isaiah wrote, Romans 10, 16 says, this, Isaiah wrote, that he says, they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Isaiah 53, verse one, who has believed our report? So obeying the gospel is believing the gospel. Amen, that's what he's talking about. You know, being, without faith, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. One translation says you gotta believe in both, that he is, and number two, that he rewards those. So obeying the gospel is believing. If you really believe the gospel, if you really obey the gospel, you'll believe the gospel. So he says, he's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And the way you obey him is by faith. By faith, he says this even, Abraham obeyed God in Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight. You cannot separate obedience and faith. He says he was called, he's speaking about Jesus, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek in the Old Testament Genesis 14 was the priest king of Salem or Jerusalem, the city of peace. He was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And the literal translation of Melchizedek in the Hebrew is my king of righteousness. Jesus is our king of, how many of you are glad that Jesus is our king of righteousness? Now he says, we have a lot of things to say about Jesus. He's still talking about Jesus in verse 11 that are hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. And the Hebrews, like the Galatians, had went back to performance to try to please God rather than just living by faith. And he says, we have a lot of things to say to you that are hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. For by the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again the first principles, the basic principles of the mouth of God and are become such as need of milk or not strong meat. He's saying this with these Hebrews. You guys have went back. You've backslidden. You've reverted. You've went back to performance, trust in yourself rather than trust in Jesus. You've made it about you. You've made it about the rules rather than just believing him. And he, he, says, he says, by the time you, you ought to be teachers, you need one to teach you these basic principles again, and you are become such as have need of milk. You're immature and not of strong meat. We used to joke about some believers, and we used to say they're like these, you know, we have these bottles that we used to feed calves with, and they got a nipple about that long. They hold a half gallon of milk, and you mix that all up, and, you know, and put it in their mouth. And we see a lot of believers like that. They got a big old mustache and we're sticking this big old bottle down their throat. And he says, how you are? He said, you guys should have grown up by now. You should be moving on. You should be going into the deeper things. But we're having to take you back to babyhood stage. He says, for everyone, and this verse 13 to me really secures the deal. For everyone who uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. To me, the word of righteousness is synonymous with the word of grace. 
Because what he's saying, the word of righteousness, it's the message of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ in Romans 1, 16 and 17, for it's the power of God to salvation to everybody who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for therein in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from the faith of the Jew to the faith of the Gentile, according as it's written, the just shall live by faith. So he says, everyone who uses milk, you guys have went back, you're unskillful in the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness is this, that when you believe on Jesus, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not about your performance, it's about his. He says, but strong meat belongs to those who are full age, mature believers, even those who by reason of use, by use of their senses have exercised to discern, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. To me, what he's talking about in verse 14, good and evil, is grace and the law. Because grace is good, but the law will produce death. Right? The law will not produce good things in your life. The law, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 56 says, is the strength of sin. And the Bible says, and the Bible says in Galatians, I think it's 3, verse 12, that the law, what, is not a faith. And in Romans 14, verse 23, that whatsoever is not a faith is sin. So just as much as sin is sin, legalism is sin. And he's, he's really addressing legalism. So look at what he says in Hebrews 6, verse 1, the very next verse. He says, therefore, leaving the principles, leaving these basic elements of the doctrine of Christ, our foundational doctrine, we need to keep those Right? We haven't thrown out the baby with the bathwater. We don't want to run away from the gospel. But he says, let us go on to maturity, not laying again. Let us go on to perfection. He's talking about maturity. The foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Again, it's not about the rules. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus. Amen? And he says, I want you to walk in a relationship. I, I want you to know me from least to greatest. I don't want it to be about somebody else telling you what's right and wrong. Right? Or, or all these legalistic rules. I want it purely to be about Jesus and, and about this relationship with him where my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. Amen? So, he's saying, if you're going to operate in authority, you've got to grow up. And if you, if you grow up, you'll realize it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And if it becomes about the rules, if it becomes about you, then either one of th two things is happening. Either you're immature or, number two, you're backslidden. She says, we got to keep, keep the gospel about Jesus. Now, when we read on down, he says, not only it's not about the rules, you're not about the law in verse 8 through 11. Notice what he says. He says, you turn again to these weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire to be in bondage. You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you lest I've bestowed upon you labor in vain. Listen, if you want to celebrate those things, it's okay, but don't get legalistic about it. All right? Paul talks about that in Romans 14. Because it's not about that. It's about him. It's about Jesus, purely. The gospel is about Jesus. Now, in verse 12, he begins to turn the corner. He says, not only is it not about the rules and the law, keeping the law, but he says it's not about who we are, right? And generally, legalistic people are very self-focused. 
And he says, brethren, in verse 12, I I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through the weakness of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. In other words, you guys know me. And if you know me very well, you know I had a little trouble. Right? I'll tell you what, don't think that Pastor Lawson is perfect. Right, Pastor Lawson is not perfect, and if you don't, if you think I am, talk to Sister Barbara, and she can tell you we've been married 38 years. She cannot tell you all the areas that I need help, and probably then some. All right, Barbara knows me better than anybody. And if if you're looking for a perfect church, you know what? Listen, when you came to this one, I messed it up because I'm not perfect. Right, and neither are you. A church without any people, the only perfect church is a church without any people because people have challenges. And Paul said, I had some challenges, but you accepted the gospel I preached because it wasn't about me, it was about him. And my temptation, which is in my flesh, you didn't despise nor reject, but received me an angel. Even though I had some weakness, I had some challenge, I had some difficulty, you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus She says, it's not about me. You you all know that. You know that when I started out preaching. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he talks just a little bit about it if you want to turn over there. And he says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go really quickly through verse 10. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, is indeed not grievous, but to you it's safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He's talking about religious legalism. Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 says, beware if you, you know, if you bite and devour one another, you know, you'll kill one another. Legalism's like a dog. You know what happens if a dog gets wounded in a pack? The other dogs will kill it. That's how legalistic people are. They kill everybody off. You get legalistic. You get, you get to be such a perfectionist about the rules, nobody can really even grow because you've killed them because they don't live up to your standard of holiness. Jesus is God's standard of holiness. And you haven't met it. That's why you believed on him, because you know it's not about you, it's about him. So he says, we are the circumcision. We are the covenant people of God, in verse 3, who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. We're rejoicing in what Jesus did. He says, and we have no confidence in the flesh. It's not about us. It's not about our power. It's not about our ability. It's not about our strength. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, If any other man thinks that he has a reason to trust in his flesh, if you want to boast, Paul says, I can boast. I'm more, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law. I was a Pharisee. We dotted every I and we we crossed every T. Because legalism actually makes it all about you. He says, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church, touching the righteousness of the law as blameless. But those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yes, doubtless, and I count all things for loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. All my religious legalism, all my performance, he said, it's nothing, it's refuge, it's trash, throw it out. 
He says that I, that I may win Christ and be found in him. This is the goal of the gospel. I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus, the righteousness of God, which is by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is the goal of the gospel. I want to know him. Hebrews 8, verse 10 and 11 says, that you all may know me from the least and the greatest. And the power of his sufferings and the fellowship being made conformable to his death. Because if you identify with his death, then you identify with his resurrection. Hallelujah. So Paul says, listen, it's not about me, it's about him. And if we go back over here to Galatians chapter 4, he, he says, not only is it not about me, but he says, it's not about you either. And in verse 15, he says, where is the blessedness? Since you're trusting your performance, since you're trusting the law, since you're trying to add all these things to Jesus, where is the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear record that if, if it was possible, you'd have plucked out your own eyes and given them. Paul says, listen, he had some kind of weakness. I don't know whether it was, an, I don't know what it was, but he had some kind of weakness. And whatever it was, Paul said, you guys would have given your right arm to help me when I started out in the gospel. That, that's what he, he said, you just do whatever you could to help me. And now you've gone back to performance and keeping the law and making it about the rules. And it's not really about that. And he says, he says, and I've become your enemy because I tell you the truth. So first of all, he says, it's, it's not about the law. It's not about keeping the, the bounds of the law. And then he says, it's, it's not about me. And then he says, it's not about you. By the way, he says, it's not even about these legalistic Judaizers that are trying to get you to keep the law trying to get you to add on to Jesus. Because if you add on to Jesus, it's like saying Jesus wasn't enough. He says, I'll tell you that if you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. He says that right here in Galatians 5 too. But while he's here, he says, listen, they zealously affect you, these Judaizers, but not well. They would exclude you that you might affect them, but it's good to be zealously affected in a good thing. Not only when I'm present with you, my little children of whom I travail in birth again till Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. My challenge is you've made it about the rules. You've made it about the law. You've made it about yourself. You've made it about me or you've made it about these Judaizers but it's not about any of that. It's about Jesus. Let me tell you a story that illustrates this. <laughs> he says... Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Don't you hear the law? And he begins to tell this. So the first thing of maturity is when, when you mature, you realize, hey, it's not about me. It's about him. Now, it took me a while to get there, right? I, I was saved today, baptized in the Holy Spirit, called to preach at 14, pastoring at 23. But it wasn't until I was 30 that I got a revelation of grace. It took me, but I, listen, I don't want to go back and make it about me. In fact, somebody asked me the other day, is it hard for you to pass your loss and to realize that it's not about you? And I, I said, no, that is not hard for me at all. I know that it's not, not about me. I said, sometimes it's hard for me what other people do. I'm like, well, you know, what's wrong with them? You know what I'm saying? But, but I know, listen, I know my own faults. And I know this gospel is not about me. And he says, for it's written, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave girl, the other by a free woman, one by Hagar, one by Sarah. One represents the law and one represents grace. He who was of the, free, uh, of the slave girl 
Ishmael was born after the flesh. The law and the flesh and self-trust all go together. Ishmael was never about God and his plan. Ishmael was Abraham and Sarah trying to help God out. And I see lots of Ishmael. I see lots of flesh. I see lots of people that come to churches like this where we preach the promises and they go out and get in the flesh and try to help God out and make a big mess. And then they blame it on Jesus. And it's not Jesus, it's them. And so he says this, but he that's of the free woman, he that's of Sarah, Isaac is of the promise. These two things are an allegory. They're a type, they're a shadow. It's really talking about two covenants. One came from Mount Sinai, the law, and it leads you into bondage, which is Hagar. And Hagar is in Mount Sinai, which is in Arabian. And Hagar answers to Jerusalem. Legalism gets you bound up. But it answers to Jerusalem. It answers to the gospel, which is now is and is, and is in bondage with her children. Legalism leads to slavery. It leads to bondage. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free which is the mother of us all. Now, I, have to, I have to just address this because I had this guy that used to be here at church and he said a couple of times that, you know, the church was our mother. The church is not your mother. The gospel of grace is your mother. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the gospel of grace. God is your father, amen? And it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? But the gospel of grace, when you heard the gospel of grace and believed it, that's what brought you into the family. Amen? So I just had to share that so you know that the church is not your mother, okay? The gospel of grace is good. It produces good things. For he says, it's written, rejoice that you bear not. He's talking about Sarah. Isaiah 54, break forth and cry. It comes after Isaiah 53, the work of Jesus. It's talking about the new covenant. He says, you who travail not, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. He's talking about Sarah. Thank God, the seed of Abraham. Your seed will inherit the nations. Your seed will bless the nations. God preached the gospel to Abraham when he said, "In through you, amen, all nations of the earth will be blessed. He says, she has many more children than she who has a husband. But we, brethren, as Isaac was, I love verse 28. We are children of the promise. Listen. In Romans chapter four, verse 17, there's a, it's a, it's, in fact, let's just turn there and let me read it to you really quickly. It's talking about how faith comes. And he says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. Paul's talking about God's plan of righteousness. It comes by faith in Jesus. It comes by faith in his grace. And then he says, this is really how faith works. He says, God speaks a word of life into a dead situation. He calls those things that be not though, though they were. He, he said, Abram, your name's no longer Abram. It shall be Abraham. Your name's no longer fatherly for a father of many nations have I made you. That's when Abraham was 90. He was 99 and Sarah was 90. God said, listen, I'm changing your name. And so he's really talking about salvation. And he says, it was impossible for Abraham, Abram at that point in time, and Sarai who became Abraham and Sarah to have a child. 
They, they were married for many, many years and everything was dead. But God spoke a word of life into a dead situation and Abram believed it and became Abraham. Hallelujah. And, and Isaac was born. And so what he's saying, Isaac, the gospel is not about a self-help program. The gospel is not about being your best. It's not about being the best that you can be and then God helping you out. It's not about God helping you out and then being the best you can be. The gospel is purely about Jesus. Because what he said in Isaac, Isaac, it was impossible for them to have a child. It was impossible for you to be saved without Jesus. But what God did with Jesus, God made a radical intervention in an impossible situation. And this is how it works. He speaks a word of life. He sent Jesus, who is the word of life, into an impossible salvation. Impossible situation called humanity. And it was impossible for you to be saved. And God did for you what you could never do for yourself. We call that the gospel. We call that salvation. We call that Jesus. So he says, we are, as Isaac was, we are children of the promise. Listen, it's not about Pastor Lawson. It's not about Pastor Barbara. It's not about Andrew Womack. It's not about Jesse Duplantis. It's about Jesus. But when you believe Jesus, that changes everything. And he goes on and he says this in verse 29. But as he then was born after the flesh, persecuted him that was born after the spirit. So... You have, have you been around legalistic people? They're demanding, they're demeaning, they're belittling. I've been one. I know all about it. Listen, I had been pastoring for six years when I got a revelation of grace. And Barbara can tell you I was hard to live with. She can tell you that, that, I, was, that I was nearly impossible to live with. She can tell you that she felt like she could never do enough. She could never be enough. She could not please me. She said, if you wouldn't have got a revelation of grace, I don't know what would have happened in our family. I don't know what would have happened to our kids. In fact, one day we had a fight, and she went, I thought she left me. And she came home about two hours later. And the next day when I went to my office, there were all these scriptures all over my desk about husbands love your wives, husband do this, husband do that. They were all, my whole desk was plastic. I opened every day. It was, and you know what I responded? I said, Barbara. What would have people thought if they would have went in there? Because this is what the law does. The law makes you selfish and insecure, and it's all about you, and it's not about him. Listen, I, I wouldn't care if she put scriptures everywhere because I figured out it's not about me anyway. It never was in the first. It wasn't about how diligent it was. It wasn't about how much I read my Bible or how much I prayed or how much I gave or how good I was. Because Lawson, apart from Jesus, was a wreck. In fact, we had this guy at our church, and he was the most legalistic mess. I remember one time he wanted to get prayer, and I said, well, you believe that God will heal you when I, the Bible says lay hands on the sick, and they'll He said, no, God might be putting his sickness on me to teach me something. And I said, well, if you won't believe, then I ain't going to pray for you. I said, but he had several beautiful daughters. I, I, I said, now, you love your daughters, right? Yes. I said, would you take a vial of AIDS and shoot it in their body to teach them something? Oh, no, I would never do that. Well, why would you accuse God, you old religious thing? 
God knows how to give good gifts to us, and we're evil, and we know how to take care of our children. Your problem is that this guy was so legalistic. He drove everybody crazy. We moved to town, and we left a ranch that would have been given to us. We left over a million-dollar inheritance that would have been given to us to preach the gospel. And we moved into low-income housing. And he, he went and told Barbara, he said, you and Lawson need to live in a tent to prove yourself as pastors. That's how legalism, made. he was living in a big, nice ranch house for where he got, that was where he was employed. And we were living in low-income housing. And we had left all this stuff to go follow Jesus. And, and we were happy about it. But listen, we didn't need that kind of legalism. But legalism makes you crazy. But eventually, guess what? He lost his job and he moved into a skinny trailer and we moved into a nice house. And I don't care. But he was so legalistic and he was so mean and it was all about the law. And he was so dogmatic and demanding and demeaning. And his wife looked like she'd been run over by a truck. Eventually, she listen, it's hard. It's harder to live with a legalistic person than some worldly people. And she ended up divorcing him. And there was this guy in town. He was a town womanizer. I mean, he was after everything. Right? And, and, but he was hungry for Jesus. And I was doing business with him because he was in the cow business. And I was witnessing to him and talking to him about Jesus. And this woman ended up marrying this town womanizer. And we saw her a couple years after we moved to Colorado Springs up at a music thing in Greeley and she was with this, and she looked so much better because it was better being married to this guy that had all these problems and knew it wasn't about him that was hungry for Jesus than to be married to this legalistic nut. Listen, legalism will kill you just like sin will kill you. Legalism is deadly. And so he says he persecuted him. That's how legalism is. They persecute everybody else. They're never good enough. They never do enough. They never give enough. Or they give too much. I mean, they got, they got rules, 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 rules. It's crazy. Nevertheless, he says, what does the scripture say? Throw out the slave girl and her son. For the son of the slave girl will not be heir with the son of the free woman. Ishmael is not going to be, those who are of the law are not going to be heirs with those who are of grace. It's not about you. It's not about your performance. It's about Jesus. And it's about what he's done. So then, brethren, we are children. We are not the children of the slave girl, but of the free. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.